So wisdom as we have defined it is being skillful in godly living. It is to have the ability to live in a godly way. Not just what we do, but who we are. To be wise people who do wise things. And the first nine chapters of Proverbs present to us the value of wisdom. The first nine chapters of Proverbs present to us the beautiful life that wisdom has to offer you. And then the majority of the book after that, the majority of the book from chapter 10 onward, contains wise sayings. And I will say to you that while I have been familiar with these Proverbs, at least a lot of them for a large portion of my life, they have come alive to me as we have studied this as a church. It has been amazing. And I have been so encouraged and so helped in my own life. I feel like I feel like just the last few weeks, everything I've prayed for someone or everything I've spoken to them in counsel has been something from the Proverbs. God has just been so kind to reveal things. And I, I have seen in these Proverbs this divine architecture where God has placed this incredibly deep meaning inside of the surface level wisdom of the proverb itself. So you can read it and understand this surface level principle that God is communicating, but then there's this incredibly rich depth to it that ties these proverbs in that come alive in the New Testament and in the person of Jesus. So I want to start with this life truth today. If you have a worship guide and you're a note taker, start with this life truth. I believe that each proverb in its own way, points us to the man of wisdom, Jesus Christ, and to the ethics of the kingdom of God. If you've listened to any of the podcast episodes we've done going along with these Proverbs chapter, I've probably said that over and over. Remember that the pursuit of wisdom is the pursuit of the man of wisdom. To become a wise person is to become a person who is like Christ. And I think God has designed in every one of these Proverbs that somehow each one of them in its own way points you to Jesus. And each one of them in some way teaches you something about the ethics of His kingdom. So when you learn a proverb and you apply its principles, you are bringing into your life a piece of what it means to be like Christ. And you are bringing into your life a piece of what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. J.I. Packer said that wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. And I want to submit to you, Agape, that the best and highest goal in any circumstance is to live by the ethical principles of the kingdom of God. Not by the ethics of the kingdom of man, but by the ethical principles of the kingdom of God, to know what pleases God. In every single circumstance you find yourself in, in every relationship, in every moment, the highest goal would be for you to know this is what would please God here. This is what would be most in line with his kingdom. And 
not only for you to know that, but the surest way, and I would say the only way, for you to actually then be able to live in a way that pleases him, if you knew what that way was, would be to receive the help of Jesus, who is alive, the man of wisdom, who knows how to live perfectly by the principles of the ethics of the kingdom that he rules. So when I read that quote from J.I. Packer, I believe that the power to see and the inclination to choose to live by the principles of the kingdom of God and the surest way of attaining that is through Jesus. And God has ordained these wise sayings in Proverbs to help us gain all of this. When you read these Proverbs, you're not just reading ancient literature, although you are, but in God's design, you are reading Proverbs sayings that He has ordained for you to help you understand more of the person of Jesus and how to live as a citizen of His kingdom. And so when we hear what Anna read to us this morning in the opening passage, that God's Word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose and succeed in the thing for which God sent it, He has sent Proverbs to you that you might gain wisdom. And when you read Proverbs, you should read it with a belief that God will do what He has said. That if you really study these and learn them, that you will gain the wisdom that He asks for you. So I want us to really be able to study these wise sayings. In your notes, I've provided a little bit of a study guide to use when you're studying Proverbs. Four questions, and this is a list that I modified from another source, so not all of this is original to me. But four questions that you could use as a tool to dig into and seek wisdom out of the Proverbs. So as you study these wise sayings, you could ask these four questions of each one of the Proverbs that you read. So let's look at these together. Number one, you can ask the question, what virtue does this proverb commend to me? What virtue does this proverb commend? Secondly, you can ask, what vice does this proverb hold up for disapproval? What virtue does it commend, or what good behavior does it commend? What vice does it, does it hold up for disapproval, or what moral failing does it hold up for disapproval? Number three, what value does it affirm? What virtue, what vice, and then what value does this proverb affirm to me? And then finally, in what way does this value relate to Christ and the ethics of His kingdom? I think you can ask these four questions of most every proverb. What is it commending to me? What is it steering me away from? What overall value is it presenting to me? And how does this relate to Jesus? And how does this relate to His kingdom? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to finish up studying these first nine chapters of Proverbs. We have chapter 8 and 9 left. And then we're going to move into studying some collections of the wise sayings. We're going to try to collect them into topics and then study some of those together. But today, I actually want us to go through this exercise. I actually want us to put into practice this series of questions on one proverb. 
And what I hope will happen is not just a, a spiritual exercise where we could learn something, but I want us to arrive at what I think is a very critical spiritual principle that this proverb is pointing us to in our lives. So the proverb that we're going to look at today is Proverbs 16.26. And if you've been doing the wise sayings readings, then you've, you've read this one. And uh, by the way, I've got ESV next to Proverbs 16, but as I show you in verse 26, we're going to use the Christian Standard Bible version today uh, because I thought it did the best job of presenting this proverb in a readable form. The proverb is this, a worker's appetite works for him because his hunger urges him on. A worker's appetite works for him because his hunger urges him on. Now, if you were doing the wise sayings readings, if you've been doing that, I don't know what happened when you came to this proverb. I don't know if it was one of those that you just read and kind of moved to the next. For me, I stopped in my tracks when I read this proverb. And and, and in a moment, I realized, wow, there is depth of meaning to this. And so I want to kind of try to explore that together for a moment. So let's do our questions. First of all, what virtue does this proverb commend to us? What good behavior is this proverb commending to us? And I think it is this, labor, work. The worker and the worker's appetite are both commended for working. It is a good thing that the appetite is working for the worker, and it's a good thing that the worker is doing work. And in the first eight chapters of these wise sayings that we've been looking at together, there have been at least a dozen proverbs that applaud the diligence, the labor of the wise. A large part of God's purpose for the wise is fruitful labor. I've said this three weeks in a row. I don't say it again because this week I heard someone talking, uh, I, th- I think it was on YouTube or something. They were, they were preaching and they were preaching about work and they said work is the curse of the fall. And I said, no, it's not. I said this, I'll say this now for the third week in a row. Work is not the curse. Work is part of God's purpose for us. Work was given to man before the fall. The curse is that on this earth, work is hard and frustrating and bitter at times. I think we're going to work in heaven. I've said that three weeks in a row now. God's purpose for us is fruitful labor. Every one of us, we are called to some type of fruitful work. And that is, I think, the virtue that's being commended to us, the good behavior. Okay, what is the vice then? What is the moral failing that this proverb is warning against? And it's not directly mentioned, but I think indirectly what we know is that the vice we are being warned about is the mindset of the sloth, laziness, apathy. The opposite of fruitful labor is fruitless complacency. And so while the proverb is commending to us labor and fruitful labor, it is warning us against being lazy, slothful, complacent people. It is warning us against having a mindset that doesn't value work. And 
It is warning us against a mindset that prefers just doing enough to barely scrape by or being satisfied to let other people labor and work so that you don't have to. I think that is the moral failing that this proverb is pointing us against. And that too is all throughout Proverbs. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we saw how the the sluggard is told, look to the ant. The ant is wiser than you are because the ant knows how to work in a timely way. All right, so we have our virtue, we have our vice. So what is the overall value? What is the useful principle that you could take away from this proverb? And I think it is that a healthy appetite is a good thing. It is good to have a healthy appetite. Because what the proverb teaches on the surface is that in a physical sense, the worker who doesn't hunger is not urged to work. Rather, he falls into idleness because he's not hungry. He doesn't have to work. So having a healthy appetite and a healthy hunger is good. It drives us, in a physical sense, to want to labor and work so that we can make money, so that we can feed ourselves and feed our families. In a psychological sense, you can be adversely satisfied. You can be complacent and fall into the trap of complacency. In other words, you don't have any craving to go beyond where you are. You're just okay. Now, you can, you can over-desire things. We know that that is also a vice. But for some people, it's just, eh, I'm just good. I'm good where I am. I don't see a need to improve. I don't see a need to gain. I don't see a need to grow. That person doesn't have a good appetite. They don't have strong motivation in their life. It is useful to us to have a healthy appetite that helps us to crave going beyond where we are and improving. So hunger is a good thing. Hunger is a good thing physically. Hunger is a good thing psychologically and emotionally. Hunger is a good thing spiritually. And that's where we come to our fourth question. We can't just stop at three. We can't just read the Proverbs and say, okay, what is the virtue, what is the vice, and what is the value that I could take away from this? Because there's deeper meaning in these Proverbs. So we need to go one more step, and we need to ask, okay, how does this relate to Jesus? How does this teach me about Christ? How does this teach me about living in the kingdom of God? Because that's what these Proverbs are meant to do. Point me to Jesus and point me to His kingdom. So I know what it's commending to me. I know what it's warning me about. I know the value. It's good to have a healthy appetite. It's good to work. Not to be complacent, not to be lazy, not to be satisfied in a, in a way where I'm not growing. But how does this relate to Christ? How does this relate to His kingdom? So let's start with the person of Jesus. Jesus came to labor. If you look at Jesus, He came to work. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. There's a picture of this in John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus is ministering to, I believe it was the the lady at the well in Samaria. I believe that's what's happening in John 4. But 
his disciples come to him and they're worried about him because he's not eaten. And so they come and they bring him food and they say, Master, you've got to eat. And Jesus says something that seems a little odd, but he says to them, I have food you don't know about. And, and they're like, well, who brought him food? Where did he get food? And then his response, he clarifies what he, mean, what he means. He says, my food, what I've been eating, is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. So what I think Jesus is teaching them there is that, yes, while he did hunger physically, Jesus lived in a human body and he got hungry and he needed to eat. But Jesus was saying that his most prolific appetite, his greatest burden, was not to fill his belly, but it was to continually serve God. That was what he hungered over. More than food, more than anything else, he wanted to serve God. And he said, that hunger that I have can only be satisfied, can only be filled if I accomplish the work God has purposed for me. Only if I can do that. I was talking to a brother last night, and we were just talking about this, this great dream and desire that he has. It's a very specific thing, and it's good to dream and, and good to desire. But one of the things that I was sharing him with him in that is that sometimes when God delays meeting our desires and our dreams, there's always a purpose for that. And it may be that it's just not the right time yet. Everything is not prepared yet. But it's also possible that you don't fully know yet what God's dream, what God's purpose for you is. And you know what some of it is because it's in His Word. But you may not yet specifically know exactly what He wants you to do. And that doesn't mean be apathetic and just don't do anything until He shows you. But it does mean that as you move forward, the one thing that you should care about is to do the work God has given you to do. You, name yourself in your mind. What has God given me to do? Make disciples, glorify Him, yes. Now, in what specific ways? What gifts do I have? How has He designed me? Where has He put me? What am I supposed to do? And every one of us, we should yearn for that. Jesus goes on to talk about his burden to accomplish the work God has given him to do is the harvest of souls. To set free the captives that are enslaved by sin so that they could know and serve God with all of their heart. That's what Christ labored for. He labored to the point of death on a cross. Before death on a cross, he labored in physical weariness, in hunger at times, Sweating, going hungry, going without sleep, he labored to accomplish what God had given him to do. So, how does this proverb point us to Jesus? Jesus had an appetite. He had an appetite to accomplish the work God had given him to do. And we are to be like the man of wisdom. We're to be like Christ. But Jesus also shows us a kingdom ethic. This proverb points us to a kingdom ethic, and that is not just that Christ had that appetite, but we are to have that appetite. Wise people have an appetite to serve God. Wise people have a love and a yearning to labor for the kingdom of God. So I want you to think for a moment, what does it mean to have a healthy spiritual appetite 
as a citizen of God's kingdom. What does that mean? If you're hungry spiritually, what does that mean? What does that look like? If you have cravings spiritually to serve God, how do you know that? What does it look like? Well, it's a motivation that I think encompasses laboring to take care of your family and those close to you. That's, a king, that's part of the kingdom ethic. You work to take care of yourself and take care of your family. And, and all across this room, our work is different. In different seasons of our life, the labor that we've been given is different. But all of us labor that we might take care of those around us. And we do so in a manner that points to Jesus. So if you get up and go to a job, or if you get up and you work in your home, or whatever your labor is, you don't just get up and begrudgingly do a task. You do it in a way that points people to Christ. Colossians 3.23, work heartily as for the Lord, not men. Whatever you do, do it in such a way that you say, I want to point people to Jesus as I do this labor. And you might say, but I don't really like it. Yes. Most of us will find ourselves in that place at some point. That's the curse. If God brings you to a place where you can labor and enjoy it, Ecclesiastes says that is an incredible gift. Thank God for it. But we all are to labor faithfully in a manner that points to Jesus. God is not glorified when we fuss and fight and criticize and complain about the labor He's given us to do. That doesn't mean we're not going to get tired and weary. He's glorified when we point to Him in how we work. This appetite spiritually also, I think, it's a longing, a zealousness to do good works that accord with God's Word and our gifts. So it's not just the labor. It's not just the labor that we've been given to do in our career or our point in our life. It is a zealousness that we want to do good works. God has gifted every single person in this room that is a Christian with gifts. Every single one of you in this room who are a believer in Christ, you have spiritual gifts. And you have been given those gifts that you might labor for the kingdom of God. And you long to do that. When you have a spiritual appetite, you long to do good works so that Christ is glorified. Matthew 5 says, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I also think having this spiritual appetite means you are starving to see the kingdom of God on the earth. You want to labor in a way that glorifies Jesus, taking care of people around you, serving people with your gifts, but you also want to see the kingdom of God. You want to see Christ rule in the hearts of men. When tragedies hit, and they hit every day all over the world, but when they hit like the one that happened in Texas this week, what happens in our country is that in this day and time, the immediate aftermath of those kinds of tragedies, that aftermath is filled with people who draw lines in the sand, and they start passionately debating the cause of evil, and the way to deal with it. How do we combat it 
How do we fight it? And we get very passionate about those things and our ideas. And there's good people on both sides of those lines, by the way. There's good people who love Jesus on both sides of those lines. But wise people, the primary yearning of our soul is to see Christ rule in the hearts of men and to see the kingdom of God to bear on the earth. And as Christians, we should starve for that. More than we starve for anything else or our ideology about how things should go or what would fix the problems, we should starve for the kingdom of God and for Christ to rule the hearts of men. And that's a starvation, by the way. That's an appetite that doesn't send us home to lock our doors and barricade ourselves there until Christ comes back. I know that there's a temptation to want to do that. But that kind of starvation sends us to work. We work in prayer. We pray as Christ told us to. We labor asking, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we labor to love people and make Christ known to them. Because in doing so, they might come to have freedom from sin and to love Jesus and the ethics of the kingdom of God will be in their hearts and they will live as wise people. We should starve for that. I think that's what it means to have a spiritual appetite. So I hope you see there one proverb, 12 words. 12 words and one proverb And it has given to us the virtue of working with diligence. It has warned us against the vice of being complacent and not bearing fruit. It has told us that it is valuable to have a good, healthy appetite that causes us to labor. And it has led us deeper to the person of Jesus and the ethics of His kingdom. Because Jesus worked and He labored to have a hunger because he had a hunger to accomplish the work of his Father. And he's pointing us that as citizens of the kingdom of God, we should have a healthy appetite that wants to serve God. That we should want to live out our divine purpose to accomplish the work God has given us. So I'm going to say again, I think these Proverbs are divinely designed and they have broad meaning. Meanings of great depth. We just spent 20 minutes on that proverb. And we could have kept going. There's 600 of them. 600 of them. Can you imagine the gold that is there to be mined out? And I I pray that we will set our heart to the discipline of studying Proverbs even after this series is over and reading them and pondering them because God has ordained them to help make us wise. I want to end this way. In light of this value that Proverbs has given us, that we need a healthy spiritual appetite that is good. It's good to be physically hungry, even though we don't always like that, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we, we actually starve ourselves, right, because we know a good meal's coming and we want to be hungry for it. So we, we, we don't eat, we fast because we want to enjoy that meal, right? So sometimes hunger is good. 
Sometimes it's just aggravating. Some of you, you get hangry, all right? So you know what that's like. But hunger is valuable because it spurs you to work. Spiritual hunger is valuable. If you don't hunger spiritually, you will not seek to be satisfied by God. If you don't have a spiritual appetite, everything you do will just be a religious routine. You need to spiritually crave and spiritually starve and spiritually yearn so that you pursue Jesus and His kingdom. So I want to ask, how do I increase my spiritual appetite? How do I do that? And I have four answers for us. These are not all inclusive. I think there are many. You, you might immediately be thinking of something. And, and maybe it'll be on this list, maybe it won't. So add to it. I just want to use this as a starter to get us thinking. And I don't really want to overcomplicate it because here's, here's what I believe. I think God gave us physical hunger so we could better understand spiritual hunger. I said before, I don't know that God didn't create bread and our need for it so that we could understand Christ and our need for Him, who's the bread of life. So I think when it comes to how do I increase my spiritual appetite, God has already revealed some of that in the physical way we live. So, number one, I think we increase our spiritual appetite by taste. By taste. Is it not true that sometimes good food increases your hunger? Is it not true that sometimes you don't even, not even thinking about being hungry and then you just get a taste of something and you're like, that is great and now I want more of it. Heap on some more. I'm, now, I, I, I've got to have more of that. Doesn't Psalm 34 tell us, taste and see the Lord is good? You know, experience is a tricky thing. I've, I've taught on this before. Some churches, I think, pursue experience with God at the expense or uh, detached from the Word of God, and I think that is a failure, it is wrong. But then some churches... They center everything on the Word, but they don't talk about the value of experiencing the God of the Word. We are told to taste and see God is good. That means experience God. Pursue experiencing God in a way that is attached to His Word. Some of us, we need to take what little hunger that we have for God right now, and we need to go to God in faith. And ask Him to increase that hunger. To let us taste His kingdom and His presence and experience Him in a way that increases our hunger for Him. Some of you, like, don't just let those words go by. Some of you, you have just a little hunger. While God can still be found, go after Him. With that little hunger you have. That's what Isaiah told us this morning. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Take the little hunger you have and go to God with it and say, will you please increase my appetite for you? So, taste. Second, labor. Labor. Does work not make you hungrier? Does it not increase your appetite to labor and to work 
Does it not stir up in you this ferocious yearning for food? Yes, it does. Laboring for the kingdom and serving God will increase your appetite for Him. Now, I'm not teaching you this morning, fake it until you make it. I don't think that is a great principle. I am teaching you this morning, lead your heart. All right, so hear what I'm going to say. Here's where I think we fail sometimes. We want our appetite to lead us. And if we don't really have an appetite, then we don't really go anywhere. Some of us, we need to take that little appetite we have, and we need to go before God with it and ask Him to increase it. Some of us, we need to do the things that we've been called to do and stop waiting to feel like it. And I'm saying that to myself as much as anybody else. Sometimes we read Scripture when we need an answer. Sometimes we pray when tragedy strikes. Sometimes we come to church and we go to community group when it's most convenient. When everything lines up and we feel like it and there's no distractions and there's no problems, that's when we'll go. Sometimes we share about Christ if the other person brings it up. Sometimes we're generous as long as we have enough and we're not lacking anything. I think, though, if we'll obey God despite our lack of appetite, even when we don't feel like it, we will find that God will increase our hunger for Him. When we read and study His Word, He will increase our hunger for it. When we pray, He'll increase our hunger for it. I've heard testimony from, I think, I know at least two guys, maybe three, just in the past few weeks, who came to something, came to a I think a men's group came to a prayer thing. And like they just like their testimony was, I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to come. I, I didn't feel like it. I, I, it just wasn't convenient, but I came. The, the person Nick was talking about that literally gave some of us a heart attack, it was the most genuine thing, though, I've ever been around. This person is not showy. They don't want people looking at them. And something welled up in them that they had to run into this room and start shouting to God. Hallelujah. It's, it's, it is the most genuine, spontaneous praise I've ever been around. And that person said, I did not want to be here tonight. Proverbs 13.4 says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Why? Because they don't pursue anything. But the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. When you, when you pursue God and you take what little appetite you have and you go and you obey Him and the ethics of His kingdom, you will find that God will richly supply you all that you need. And you'll turn around sometimes and be, man, I'm so grateful I did that. <laughs> Even though I really didn't feel like praying today or reading today or sharing Christ today. Number three, How do I increase my spiritual appetite? Abstain. Abstain from what? All right, if you're a parent, you know. Junk food. You're going to ruin your appetite. What does that mean? It means I'm slaving over a meal or I'm ordering pizza and it costs a lot of money. And you're in the kitchen and and you're just finding stuff that's been expired for six months we hadn't thrown away and you're ruining your appetite. 
you're filling your life with things, you're filling your, your, your belly with things that's not all that great. And so you're not going to be hungry for what is good when it's ready. That's a spiritual principle too. You can quench your appetite by you can quench your appetite for God by filling up on worthless replacements. Proverbs 12:11 says he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. It may be that we lack an appetite for God. And I'm going to raise my hand on this one, so when I say we, I mean all of us. It may be that we sometimes lack an appetite for God because we need to repent of worthless pursuits and time wasters. Things that just aren't that great. I'm, I'm all for rest. I'm all for re- relaxation. I think there's times to sit down and just what we would call veg out for a little bit and just relax. But that should not be the mainstay of our life. We must labor diligently. For David McConnell, his ongoing battle that he has had for years is he needs to sit down and he needs to stop picking his phone up and, and clicking on reels or YouTube videos or whatever. I'm not on TikTok or wherever those are, but they show up in Facebook. Everything's on Facebook now. So I need to stop that because I get caught up in them. And then all of a sudden I look down and it's been 25 minutes. How much more valuable would it have been if I'd spent five minutes on that and 20 minutes reading a proverb? So, sometimes we fill up on junk, and therefore we're not hungry for for God. And then finally, number four, cooperate. I know that's a strange one. Cooperate. What does that mean? Sometimes what increases our appetite is being around other hungry people. So you know this, you're not hungry, but you're hanging out with someone who is, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're eating, and you realize, well, I, I really was hungry. But you didn't take yourself there, they did. Because you were, you were with somebody that's hungry. Some of you are like, I'm with this person, they're always hungry. So you know what I'm talking about. Someone talking about food can make you hungry. Someone offering you food can make you hungry. I use the word cooperate because that word means to work jointly toward the same goal. The more I labor as a pastor, the more I am convinced that the heart of Christian community is the shared mission of Jesus. And that sounds good, at least I hope, but let me explain what I mean. I think what we sometimes try to center Christian community on is relationships. Christian community is about being in tight, close-knit relationships with people. And what we hope happens is that we can build close relationships and then we can go on shared mission together. I think we need to reverse it. I think what we're called to in the kingdom of God is the shared mission of Christ, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to make disciples and love one another. And when we come to a place, and as a group, we're dedicated to that shared mission, here's what I think God does. He works the miracle of building relationships around that shared mission. Some of us lack hunger because we cut ourselves off from hungry people. I want to urge you again what I started urging you to at the beginning of the year. Every single believer needs to be in a community group. You need to be in a discipling community group 
where you are being urged on by other believers to love and good works and where they're urging you on to love and good works. We will, we will lack without it. And we will lack appetite without it. I can't tell you how many times I've went to the deans to GC on a Friday. And, and listen, I don't always want to go. Sorry. I love Josh. I love Jennifer. I love being at their house. But sometimes I am just like, I just kind of want to be at home tonight. It's been a long week. I've never went and regretted it. Except one time Josh fed me rattlesnake. But other than that, it's good. But other than that, I've never regretted it. I can't tell you how many times I've went to a community group and just left so encouraged. It happened Friday night. And we had this incredible time of worship. Just to worship songs on YouTube. But people were standing in the room, and, and it was incredible. And it, man, I, it, it increased my appetite. Hebrews 12.1 says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. There in Hebrews, the cloud of witnesses are the saints of old, but I think the principle is the saints today also surround us and help us to be spiritually hungry and run our race well and lay aside the tides that bind us. The saints of God increase our motivation to love the Lord and love each other. We need that community. We need to invite people in this church into that community. I, I can tell people to go to community groups all the time. People are just, I'm the pastor, I'm supposed to say that. You can invite people into them. You can ask people to come. We should encourage each other toward those things. I want to ask the worship team if they'll come. We're going to end today in prayer and singing together. And I want us to think about spiritual appetite. I want us to think about these things that, that God has shown us out of this one proverb. One proverb. Twelve small words, one proverb that has pointed us to our need for a healthy spiritual appetite so that we pursue the people and the things of God. If you are a prayer partner today, I've got some prayer partners that are going to be up here to my left, and if you guys will come on up and... Uh, what I'm going to ask us to do today as we sing this last song is I just want you to ponder for your own life what is your spiritual appetite right now and be honest with God about that. And I want to invite you to pray and ask God to increase that. And I want you to ask Him to help you to do the things that maybe we've talked about today, whether it is experiencing Him to taste and see that He is good, whether it is uh, to labor and to just do the things that we know that we need to, even when we don't feel like it. If we need the motivation to abstain from junk and time wasters so that we have more of an appetite for God, or if it is that we need to join together more. Like, I need help just to have the motivation to be in community. Whatever it may be, I want to ask this morning for you to think about your spiritual appetite and ask God to increase that. And if this morning you would like someone to pray for you about that or about anything else, 
physical healing, burdens, difficulties that you're facing. That's why the prayer partners are here. You can come up and receive prayer and let someone pray for you. Father, I ask that you would help us to be a hungry church. I hope, God, that it doesn't have to be by trial and difficulty, although I know you use those things. But I pray, God, that you would help us to taste and see that you are good, that we could experience you here in a very real way, that when we gather together in whatever form, we would experience your presence and being in your presence. God, I pray that we would labor together and encourage each other in labor of good works, of serving and sharing and reading and praying. I ask God that we would be a church that knows when to repent and abstain from useless endeavors that quench our appetite for you. And God, I pray that we would be a church that is joined together around a shared mission to make Christ known. And that from that shared mission, you would build in this church oneness by the power of your spirit. God, please do these things for us. But ultimately not for us, for the glory of you, your name, the Savior of agape, our hope, Jesus Christ. Please let the wealth of the glory of God be among us at agape. And let us shine a light in Pinson and make disciples in our surrounding communities. God, please make us hungry and satisfy our cravings. Let us forever be hungry for you until the day that we see Jesus. But let us forever be being satisfied. Reaping, excuse me, sowing and reaping all that you've given us to do. Please, God. Give us consistent, steady growth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.